Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews, and um, just, uh, I know we got some families out, I was hoping we'd have some of the folks that contributed to the pastor appreciation, but just on behalf of the elders, I do want to thank y'all for, for uh, just the generosity and the kindness shown to your, your pastors uh, last week for pastor appreciation, it was just, just the gifts and just the, the scripture and books and just everything. It was just really, really kind. And we're very grateful for our church family. Just, just so, so thankful. All right, Hebrews 11, as a reminder, the author, I keep saying this, but I want us to remember the author to the book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who were suffering. So we've talked about how Hebrews is really a book about faith in the midst of suffering. And these these Jewish Christians were being pressured to go back to the old covenant. And what the writer is saying is you better not do that because in Jesus Christ, he's the only way that we can have intimate access with God in the new covenant. And I haven't mentioned this in a while, but just remember that the writer has been stressing that Jesus is our great high priest and his priesthood is according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's a better priesthood than the Old Testament priesthood of Aaron because in Jesus's priesthood, we can draw near to God in intimacy and love. And right now, right now, Jesus is in the heavenly holy of holies interceding on behalf of his people. He's praying for us. So Jesus is our great high priest. And the writer's been telling these Jewish Christians who's suffering, he's saying again, don't go back to the old covenant with the, the temple and the animal sacrifices and the priesthood and all that. Don't do that because the animal sacrifices never could take away sin. Those animal sacrifices of the old covenant were pointing forward to their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, okay? And, it's, and he's saying, so it's only by trusting in Jesus, faith in Jesus as, his, as being our substitute in the substitutionary death. That's the only way that we can be saved, and it's the only way that we can draw near to God. And then in chapter 10, we saw this a number of weeks ago, he, that's when the writer starts the application. So like Paul, a lot of times he gives doctrine at the beginning and then application toward the end. And what he's telling us is that we must persevere in our faith, okay? So he's reminding us that we must walk by faith. And he gives us this hall of faith, this hall of fame of faith, which really isn't a hall of fame. It's, it's examples for us to follow, and we can do this. I've said this too, and I think we've got a slide on it about a definition of faith that I've encouraged you to memorize is this, is that faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. Internal certainty of unseen realities. Realities, And so the book of Hebrews is teaching us that our faith is not a static thing, that our faith can strengthen and grow, but it can also diminish and get weak. And we need to be people who are fighting for faith. We need to fight so our faith in Christ will strengthen and grow. And it requires, this requires deliberate action on our part to grow our faith, okay? So again, just as a reminder, we've looked at Abel, Enoch, and Noah. We saw that in them, that faith was displayed in worship, intimacy, and obedience. And then the last time I preached, we talked about Abraham. About Abraham talk, taught us that faith is heavenly-focused action. Faith is, faith is heavenly-focused 
obedience, okay? So by faith, we know, and we're going to talk about this later, that our ultimate destination is heaven, the resurrection life to come. All right, in today's passage in Hebrews 11, we're going to see that faith overcomes fear, and that's the title of my sermon, Faith Overcomes Fear. Faith kills fear. So by faith, we don't have to be controlled by fear because we're looking to things that are eternal, things that are unseen. There's a slide, I think we got a slide of Jim Elliott. He made this statement that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Okay? You could give away, you're not a fool. You give away your life. You give away the things of this world that you can't keep to gain eternal life, to gain heaven, to gain intimacy, eternal bliss and intimacy with the Lord, which you can never lose. So similar to this, in keeping with this theme of faith, here's a couple of thoughts that have helped me. And I've got them up there. Uh, faith, I'm saying this, faith kills fear. We're talking about fear today. Faith kills fear, and we'll see this in, in Hebrews 11. Faith kills fear because nothing of eternal value can be taken from me. That's one. We could also put it this way. This is really what I want us to think about. If I have internal certainty that nothing of eternal value can be taken from me, then I will not be controlled by fear. Okay? So that's what we're going to see today in Hebrews 11. Something else you'll notice in Hebrews 11 is that almost every example here is an example of faith that occurs at a crisis point in someone's life. There's a crisis. You'll see throughout the book, there's a crisis in someone's life, and they walk by faith as they go through that crisis. We all experience in our lives times of crisis, and, and those times of crisis are so important. They're miserable, right? They're terrible, but they're so important because at these moments, we have to decide if we're going to live by faith in God. At those crisis points, there, must, there can be immense pressure to give in and to not trust the Lord. So you may be going through a crisis point in your life right now. And the question is, are you going to give in to your fears? Are you going to give in to the flesh? Or, or are you going to live by faith? Are you going to trust Jesus? So that's, that's what I want us to think about today. In those moments of crisis, are you going to make up your mind that you're going to have this internal certainty of unseen realities? Are you going to trust things like this, that God is good, that he loves you, that he's sovereign, and in control of everything, and he's with you? Are you going to have this certainty about this? So these are the kind of questions that we need to get settled, okay? And I'm about to get to the text, but the thing is, here, here's what I want to encourage as well. We don't want to wait for a crisis point before we get these things settled. We, we need to straight, strengthen our faith. We need to have this internal certainty of unseen realities before we find ourselves in times of crisis, and that's what Hebrews is teaching us, okay? All right, let's read the passage. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23, okay? Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. I'm going to read through 31, and then we'll walk through the passage verse by verse. So Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Okay, so that's the passage. Let's walk through it verse by verse. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the writer here has given us this example of Moses and verse 23 is a little unusual when it says, By faith Moses, and at this point we expect them to talk about Moses' faith. But actually he uses the passive voice and begins talking about Moses' parents. Okay? And the writer's saying that Moses' mom and dad acted by faith. And again, notice this is a point of crisis. They were in Egypt when Moses was born, and at this time, Pharaoh had given a decree, an edict, saying that all baby boys, all baby Hebrew boys, were to be thrown into the Nile and killed. And at this point, Moses' parents had a decision to make, right, in this crisis point. And what they did is they acted by faith because they defied the king and they hid baby Moses for three months. So just put yourself in their situation. At this crisis point, you can imagine the immense stress that they were dealing with in trying to hide this baby for three months. When you know that government officials are on the lookout for these babies, when you know people around you are, are aware, they knew that, that uh, Moses' mom was pregnant. So And at this time, if you disobeyed Pharaoh, not only would the baby be killed, but you would be killed. Okay, so it's immense pressure. This is a crisis point. And Moses' parents acted by faith by hiding him. They disobeyed the government. So at this point of this, this crisis, they were living by faith. And if you know the story of Exodus 2, they eventually put baby Moses in a basket and placed him in the Nile among the reeds. And, and he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. And Moses' big sister Miriam was watching this and she went up to Pharaoh's daughter and she said, she said this, this is Exodus 2, and said, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter agreed and so Miriam went to get her mother, which is Moses' mom, and Pharaoh's daughter ended up, you know the story, ended up paying Moses' mom to care for her own baby, own baby Moses. And then when, when Moses grew older, the mom brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter. But from then on, Moses was raised in the household of Pharaoh. And all this started, as I said, at a crisis point, because at that crisis point, Moses' parents were living by faith. And it says this, it says, they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So there are two things that motivated them to live by faith. They saw the child was beautiful. We'll talk about that. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what does it mean when they said they saw the child was beautiful? Everybody thinks their baby is beautiful, right? That's not, that's not an exceptional thing. I think what, we, what is being taught here and what we can actually see from the book of Acts, and, and this is interesting, I would encourage you, you don't have to turn there now, but in Acts chapter 7, that's the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And he gives this long speech to the Jewish leaders. And one of the things he says is about Moses 
is he's, he's talking about Moses' parents, and it says that Moses was beautiful in God's sight. He was beautiful in God's sight. And I think that means that Moses' parents in some way understood that God was going to use Moses in a special way. I believe even that God revealed to them that Moses was going to lead his people out of bondage. And the reason I believe that is because, again, this is Acts 7 in Stephen's speech. Later on, when Moses at the age of, is at the age of 40, Stephen says that Moses understood that he was going to lead his people out of bondage. And he even expected the people of Israel to, to, that he, to know that he was going to lead them out of bondage. Okay? So I'm confident that Moses' parents actually told him this. So again, when it says that, that Moses was, that his parents saw that Moses was beautiful, I'm convinced it means that in God's sight, and they knew that, that God was going to use Moses in a special way. So verse 23 says two things motivated Moses' parents to live by faith, keep the baby Moses hidden. One, they saw the child was beautiful. And two, they were not afraid of the king's edict. So their faith allowed them to overcome fear. Again, the title of my sermon is Faith Overcomes Fear. So by faith, Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of the king's command. So faith kills fear. If you look down at verse 27, we're going to talk more about this in a second. But this is, again, about fear. Notice the similarities. Look down at verse 27. It says, talking about Moses, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So there's this common theme here, the anger of the king and not being afraid. So it's saying that both Moses and his parents, when they were living by faith, they were not afraid of the king. They were not afraid of the anger of the king. And what God is teaching us here in Hebrews is, when you live by faith, you're not going to be controlled by fear. Now, let me say something about fear. Fear is an emotional response, right? And, and really, fear is a good thing. God has given us a gift of fear because when you have this feeling of fear, that shows you that something is wrong. In fact, if you're walking down the street, say you're walking at night down the street and you have this sudden feeling of fear, don't suppress that. Listen to it because God has given you that. He's given us that gift of fear to protect us, okay? So in one sense, fear in the sense of this feeling of fear is a good thing. God has given us this. We need to listen to that So, because this feeling of fear can protect us. But, and I think this is what Hebrews is teaching us here, we can't allow fear to control us. We can't allow fear to cause us to doubt God. We can't allow fear to lead us into sin. So we can't allow this emotion to control us. It's, it's the same with any emotion, right? You can't allow emotions to lead you into sin. So here in verse 23, it's saying that Moses' parents acted in faith by hiding baby Moses. And when it says that they were not afraid of the king's edict, it doesn't mean that they didn't have any feelings of fear. I'm certain they had overwhelming feelings of fear. But they didn't allow the fear, the feelings of fear to control them. They lived by faith. And in doing that, they were trusting God. They were not allowing fear to lead them into sinning against God. And this is what we're called to do as well. Like Moses' parents, when we're faced with a crisis point, when we have these feelings of fear, that's fine. That's okay. That's even good. Having that emotional response of fear is not a, a, wrong in any way. But when we're facing a crisis and we have these feelings of fear, we live by faith. We have this internal certainty of unseen realities. We don't allow fear to lead us into sin. Okay? 
We don't allow the emotion of fear to control us. And this is what Moses' parents did. And this is what God calls us to do. And this is how faith overcomes fear. Look at verse 24. This is the next crisis point. Let's look at verses 24 to 27. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, and we'll talk about that, reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So this is talking about Moses when he was 40 years old now. So he's been raised in, in the palace of Pharaoh, wherever, by, by the daughter of Pharaoh. And it says he gave, gave up the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt. So that's the way the ESV has it. So it's pleasures and treasures, right? He gave up the pleasures and treasures of Egypt. So here's the setting. When Moses was 40 years old, he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. And then the next day, Moses is talking to two Hebrew men who are fighting. And he gets in between them and he says, hey, stop this. You guys are brothers. Stop beating each other up. And, and one of them then turns on him and says, you know, who made you our authority or something? And he says, and then the, the, the slave tells Moses that he knows that he killed this Egyptian. Okay. And then Moses finds out that Pharaoh is angry with him, with Moses, and that Pharaoh wants to kill him. Now, here's the part that's a little confusing. If you look at verse 27, it says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So, so here's the confusing part. It says he's not afraid. But in Exodus chapter 2, it says Moses was afraid when he left Egypt to go into the wilderness of Sinai. Okay? It specifically says that he was afraid. But here in Hebrews, it says by faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So how do we square those? Well, I think it's this. Remember, fear is this emotional response. And it's understandable that Moses had the feeling of fear when he knew Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So he had this emotion of fear. That's not a sin to have the emotion of fear. So he was afraid. In fact, Exodus 2 says that. And what's funny about this is that who wrote Exodus 2? Moses wrote Exodus 2. So Moses wrote Exodus. And Moses says, basically, I was afraid. So he's saying, I have had this feeling of fear. But, and I think this is the point of Hebrews, what it's teaching us, is that Moses did not allow the feeling of fear to make him sin against God or to deny God. Because think about it, Moses could have gone to Pharaoh and he could have said, hey, I, yes, I killed an Egyptian, but it was an accident and these Hebrew slaves are not my people, the Egyptians are my people, and their God is not my God. Ra or whatever, these are my gods, the Egyptian gods are my gods. He could have done that. And in that sense, the fear would have been controlling him and making him deny God and sin against God. But that's not what he did. So he didn't allow the fear to control him. So despite this feelings, he didn't deny God. He lived by faith. He left. He left Egypt. And for the, then for the next 40 years, he lived the life of a nobody in the wilderness of Midian. Okay? So he chose, he could have, and this is what the writer's going to say, he could have had these wealth and treasure, but he made a choice to be a nobody out in Midian. All right, let's look at verses, uh, let's look again at verses 24 and 25. It says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, when he was 40, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So it says choosing. Moses had a choice. Again, he could have chosen the fleeting pleasures of sin by continuing to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have been continued to be identified as a prince of Egypt. And he could have continued to live in Pharaoh's household. He could have continued to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. But notice this too, that, that little word fleeting. Fleeting pleasures of sin. That's important because they're not lasting. This little phrase actually is really helpful for us in battling sin. Notice this, the Bible acknowledges that sin is pleasurable, right? It says it right there, pleasures of sin. That's what it says. So the Bible is realistic. The Bible specifically says right here that sin is pleasurable. And if sin were not pleasurable, it wouldn't be enticing, would it? There would be no enticement to sin if it wasn't pleasurable. But here's the thing, the pleasure that we get from sin is fleeting, it's momentary, it's temporary. And then sin always leads to sadness and discontentment and anger and all these other things. I'll say it again, sin always leads to things like sadness, discontentment, anger, frustration, misery, and any other horrible word you can think of. Sin promises, sin promises to give you ultimate fulfillment, right? And pleasure. Promises to, to give this pleasure that will last forever. But it's only a fleeting pleasure. And then you deal with the horrible aftermath. That's the way sin works. Sin deceives. It makes these promises. And I've even seen devout Christians think, if I married this hot girl or whatever I would totally be fulfilled that's what they think or if I had this amount of money I know I would be absolutely fulfilled that's what sin promises and we believe it don't we we that's the fleshly part of us we believe that but sin deceives sin lies it lies and and the there is a pleasure to it and that's the hard part about fighting sin there is a, a pleasure to it and it's enticing but the sin is temporary It's fleeting. And Moses understood this, that sin, although temporary, ultimately leads to misery. Okay? Moses understood this. Verse 25 also says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. So he identified with God's people. Again, this word choosing. Moses had a choice. And by faith, he chose suffering and identification with the people of God rather than than the fleeting pleasures of sin. All right, look at verse 26. This is another little confusing phrase, but I hope we can clear it up. It says, Moses considered, this one we're going to look at, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, so verse 25 says Moses made a choice, and now verse 26 that says that Moses considered. Okay, These Greek words describe this. They describe someone who's having this internal dialogue. They're giving serious consideration to what they must do. They're making a choice. They're giving this deep thought and weighing a decision about should this have priority or or this have priority. So it's it's deep internal dialogue, thinking about this option versus this option. That's That's what's happening here. And at this moment of crisis, Moses, at the age of 40, 
Again, he's living as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. At this moment of crisis, what it's saying is that he is thinking deeply about this choice. Would he choose to identify with the people of God and be mistreated with them? Or would he remain in Pharaoh's household and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin? So this is a moment of crisis, okay? So there are two doors that, that Moses has considered for his life. And many times we're faced with two options, right? We come to a crisis point in our life and there are two doors. Which one are we going to walk through? And this is what Moses was faced. He, he could walk by faith, go through that door and stay true to God and be mistreated. He knew what was going to happen. Be mistreated with God's people. That's one door, the door of faith. Or the other door is the flesh, sin. He would continue to identify as a wealthy prince of Egypt in Pharaoh's household. He would continue to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. But what he did, he made a conscious choice to walk through this door to live by faith. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God. Verse 26 says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now what does that mean? The reproach of Christ. And I confess when I first read this, I was like, what in the world? I have no idea what that means. Here's the best way to understand it, I think. It means this. The, the reproach of Christ is the reproach experienced by Christ. Okay? So I even wrote out on the side of my Bible in the margin, the reproach experienced by Christ. So the reproach, the disgrace that Jesus experienced. Here's what I mean. When Jesus was on earth, when the Messiah was on earth, he associated with the people of God, right? And he suffered with the people of God. Think about it. From all eternity, the Son of God was in the palaces of heaven, right? He was in the palaces of heaven. And yet, as Philippians 2 tells us, the Son of God chose to become human, to live on this earth, to live in the filth and brokenness of this earth, to associate with his people. And he was disgraced. He suffered reproach for that. So I think that's the best way to understand verse 26 is just like the Messiah chose to leave the palaces of heaven to associate and experience the disgrace and the reproach of his people here on earth in the same way by faith, Moses chose to leave the palaces of Egypt to associate with God's people. So Moses experienced the same type of reproach, the same type of disgrace in a way experienced by Christ. So Moses considered the reproach, this reproach that Jesus experienced to be greater wealth, more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. So Moses experienced the same kind of, of, of disgrace that was later experienced by Christ. Because think about it, the, the type of disgrace that Jesus experienced was the rejection of being a prophet of standing on the side of God, of proclaiming the word of God against an ungodly culture. That's what Christ did, and it's what Moses did. So Christ experienced disgrace and reproach when he was true to God and associated with the people of God, and Moses experienced the same type of reproach, the same type of disgrace. I think that's what this verse means. All right, so again, Moses had a choice. What is he going to do? And he ultimately chose to walk by faith. He considered the reproach of Christ to be more valuable, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Verse 26 also says this, and this is a huge, 
statement. It says, Moses was looking to the reward. We've seen this many times in the book of Hebrews. Moses had an eternal perspective. He was looking to the ultimate reward in heaven, the unveiled presence of God. Like Abraham, Moses knew that he was a stranger and an alien on this earth and that his ultimate reward was in heaven. His ultimate reward was God himself. So by faith, Moses had his eyes continually set on the celestial city where God dwells. This was the reward Moses was looking forward to. Verse 27 says Moses left Egypt by faith because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is very similar to the statement in verse 26 where it says he was looking to the reward. You you can't see God, right? He's invisible. But Moses lived his life continually seeing the invisible God and he did this. How do you see the invisible God, right? He did this, not with physical eyes, but with eyes of faith. And when it says this, when it says he endured as seeing God who is invisible, I think a better translation is this. He continued to see God who is invisible. So by faith, day after day, Moses continued to see the invisible God, and he did this with eyes of faith. So this is a picture of sustained concentration, concentrated attention. So Moses has this sustained attention about the presence of God, about the reality of the presence of God. Remember, faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. And Moses had this certainty that God was with him. Even though God is invisible, Moses was absolutely certain that God loved him and was guiding him even though Moses could not see God. And that's faith, right? That's faith. So Moses kept God before him continually. This was his his fixed habit of spiritually perceiving that God was with him and he did this by faith. Now verse 28 It says, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. I'm going to touch on this very briefly. This verse is just shorthand for the entire exodus out of Egypt where God instructed his people. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read Exodus where God instructed his people to keep the Passover. So they killed the sacrificial lamb, then they took the blood and they spread it on the doorframe of the house. And then that night, the angel of death, God himself, went through and he looked at all the houses. And, if, and think about the language. If the house was covered by the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passed over. Okay? So, so salvation came to those. And think about the language. Think about the picture pointing to Christ. Salvation came to those who were covered by the blood of the lamb. Okay? So all that was pointing forward to Jesus. It's a wonderful story. Again, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read Exodus. All right, verses 29 to 31, the writer gives us examples of people of God living by faith when they left Egypt, when they entered into Jericho and the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. So verse 29 says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, when you read, this is talking about the people of God by faith, when you read the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua, you see usually the Jewish people are not really strong in their faith, right? A lot of times they're grumbling and complaining. They're not the greatest people. But in this case, when they crossed the Red Sea, God told them to move and they did, okay? They were obeying by faith. They were saved by faith. Verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This is from the book of Joshua. This is under the command of Joshua. 
the people marched around the city of Jericho for seven days, and then on the final day, they marched, I think they marched around the city of Jericho seven times. And this is one of those things that seemed like an illogical thing to do. It seemed like a crazy thing to do. But often, we've mentioned this before, that when we're living by faith, God requires us to do things that don't make sense to the world. It seemed illogical for the people just to walk around a city seven days in a row. But they did. They did. They obeyed by faith. And the reward was the fall of Jericho, the stronghold of a city, enemies of God. The city came crashing down, and God's people put this enemy city to the sword. Except for Rahab. That's what we see in verse 31. Rahab is held up as a person of faith. So verse 31 says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab welcomed the Jewish spies. She had heard about Yahweh and she trusted in him. God did a work in her heart and she trusted. And what is beautiful about this, and you see this many times in the New Testament, is that Rahab is held up as a woman of faith. And she was a prostitute, right? Yet she was saved by faith. It's a great picture of salvation through faith. And it's a wonderful reminder that no matter who you are, and no matter how terrible your sin has been, no matter how terrible your background is, it's never too late to put your trust in the Lord, no matter what you've done. So don't think it's too late to put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive his love and salvation. It's never too late to give your life to Christ. He won't turn you away. And you see that with Rahab, and it's beautiful. All right, that's the passage, and as we wrap up, I want to go back to Moses again and think about this idea about faith overcoming fear. Because as God's people, we can't allow the emotion of fear to control us. All right, so, so I've said that faith kills fear because nothing of eternal value can be taken from me. And I would just ask you to think about this. If you are going through, a, maybe you're going through a crisis point in your life, and I know many of us are at various times going through crisis points. And at these crisis points, that's when we're tempted to allow fear to control us. Maybe you're fearing a job loss or you've got a difficult boss. Or if you're a student, maybe you're fearing a test or you don't know what you're going to do with your life, right? I remember being young and having no idea. It was a crisis point for me. Or maybe you're facing money difficulties or marriage strife or difficulties with children. Maybe you're facing illness, health problems. Maybe you're facing death itself. Whatever it is, these are crisis points. And at these points, the temptation is to give in to fear. The temptation is to allow fear to control our imagination, and we start thinking of all the terrible things that could happen, right? We think about all the bad things that could happen. The temptation is to allow fear to diminish our trust in the Lord, to let fear take control. But God calls us to live by faith. We can't give in to the emotion of fear. And faith overcomes fear. So we're called to trust in the, in the Lord and rely on, as Moses did, the invisible God who loves us instead of fearing our circumstances. Listen, I'll tell you, if you're not in a crisis point, you may not remember, but you will go through some. And these crisis points in our lives are tough. They're very, very difficult. But I'm convinced that God gives us, through his spirit, gives us a special measure of strength and grace in these moments of crisis. I'm also convinced that God uses these crisis moments to prepare us for tremendous growth 
growth in our faith in him. These crisis moments are not a surprise to God. He's the sovereign Lord, right? And he uses these moments to grow our trust in him. So he's calling us to walk by faith and believe, for us to believe that during these crisis moments, God is preparing us for growth. So my encouragement, let's believe that. Let's be certain about that by faith. I also want again to look at Moses because he provides a wonderful example of two things, I think, what it means to to live by faith. And I think these are probably two of the most important things for us to do as followers of Jesus, okay? And I've been stressing this in Hebrews, but I'm not sure anybody's taking it seriously. So I'm going to talk about it again. There are two things, all right? And they're this. One, to intentionally live in the presence of God, that's what Moses did. And two, to keep our eyes on heaven. That's what Moses did. He kept his eyes on the eternal reward. So first, again, Moses intentionally lived in the presence of God. Coram Dea, which means before the face of God. Moses intentionally and continuously lived his life before the face of God. That's what verse 27 says when it says, endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses continuously believed that the invisible God was with him. I talked about Enoch a few weeks ago. Enoch walked by faith. That's what happens at the beginning of Hebrews 11. He continuously walked with God. And this is what we're called to do on a moment-by-moment basis to practice the presence of God, to walk with Jesus on a continuous basis. And we do this by faith. So this is my challenge to you, to continuously live your life in the presence of God, Coram Deo, before his face and under his protection. I mean, minute by minute. How many times do you remind yourself during the day that the Lord is with you right now? that he's here. This is what we're called to do, to live in the presence of God. Like Moses, we need to make a decision, a conscious effort to consciously have eyes of faith to see that the Lord is with us and that the Lord is constantly at work around us. It's difficult to do, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. Because if you make it a fixed habit to constantly believe that God is with you, that he sees you, that he cares about you, When that becomes how you live your life in the day-to-day, when that happens, real transformation takes place. Real change happens. Are you going to be engaging in some horrible, sinful thing when you know that God is right there with you? It changes your life. It brings about transformation. And what will happen is when you do this, you'll slowly begin to see that you're becoming the person God wants you to become. When you constantly live Coram Deo. Also, when those moments of crisis come, you'll be able to walk by faith and you'll be able to overcome fear, okay? So that's one. My challenge is to get in the habit of consciously and intentionally living Coram Deo before the face of God, in his presence, under his authority, under his protection and love. My second challenge is this, to constantly look forward to heaven. I've talked about this before, but I want to stress it again. Again, as followers of Jesus, we need to continuously and consciously and intentionally look forward to the celestial city, to Jesus' return, to the new earth and the resurrection life to come. That's what Abraham did when he looked forward, remember, to the city with eternal foundations, who was architect and builder as God. That's what Moses did, again, in verse 26, when it says he was looking to the reward. Moses was looking to the ultimate reward. Moses was looking forward to the afterlife, to heaven, to the resurrection life to come. 
Listen, he wasn't dreading the life to come. He was looking forward to it. And we're called to do the same. And I would encourage you, don't wait until you get on your deathbed before you start thinking about death. Before you start thinking about Jesus and, and the life to come. And my challenge is, honestly, get excited about heaven. Think about heaven on a frequent basis. Because, again, this is one of those practices when you live by faith and thinking about heaven, your life is going to be transformed and you can slowly become the person that God wants you to become, okay? And when we live by this, I'm wrapping up, when we live by this, when we live by faith, when we constantly live in the presence of God, when we intentionally think about heaven on a consistent basis, when that happens, our faith overcomes fear. Even when moments of crisis come, we don't have to be a victim. We don't have to be helpless when moments of crisis come, we can act with strength. Yes, the emotion of fear may come, but we can live by faith and live as, people, as the people that God wants us to be. Our faith overcomes fear, and it's all because of our Lord Jesus, right? Because of Jesus, nothing, think about this, because of Jesus, nothing of eternal value can ever be taken from us. Nothing. Nothing of eternal value can ever be taken from you my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. Nothing, nothing of eternal value can ever be taken from you. And it's all because of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Every time I think seriously about your word, I just thank you that you gave us your word. So thank you for this word. Thank you for Hebrews 11. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ right here. I especially pray for folks who are going through crisis times in their life right now, and I pray they don't even know it, but they're about to go through those. You know they're about to go through them, but they don't. But I pray for them, especially now, those who are in a crisis and those who are about to go through a crisis, especially for those people, that you would draw them near to you, that you would help them. I pray you'd help all of us to walk by faith and continuously think that, about your presence with us. Help us to get in the habit of doing that, Lord. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking and people just are not listening. So you've got to do the work, Holy Spirit. Please do that. Please help us to consciously live in your presence and to think about heaven. Think about the resurrection life to come where it's going to be awesome. It's going to be nothing but joy and excitement and blessing and seeing you face to face, Jesus. So help us to get in the habit of thinking about that. And through that, I know you're going to grow us. You're preparing for us just tremendous growth to grow in our faith, to grow in our holiness, to grow in our love for other people. So please help us in that, Lord. We love you. Thank you again for your word. Thank you again for my friends here. Lord, bless them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.